welcome to Bangor Community Church Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed today as you hear the Word of God. Well, it's great to have Pastor George Ritchie with us this morning. And uh, Pastor George has been pastored, has pastored for over 26 years, carried off Elam Church, uh, took over for that after a couple of years after it was founded. But went through, was it two, two building programs, the main church and then another um, building program, which is now a nursery, which I think houses about 150 children, many staff. It started with two staff, three kids, something like that. So um, it's great having this man in the house, and he is a, he's a true pastor. And, you know, through the years, if ever there was anybody in the land and you heard of anything that was going on about revival, it was Pastor George Ritchie. Anybody was coming into the land and they were carrying revival, you know who was having them in? It was Pastor George Ritchie. So Pastor George carries revival in his heart, and I'm just excited to have him in the house this morning. So let's welcome him. Amen. We just give him free reign in the house to say, teach what he led. Thank you. It's, it's really such a blessing and an honor, and I honor you this morning, Hilary, and um, the legacy that is in this house is incredible, such a blessing, and uh, the name of Bangor, you know, I can remember, but it must have been nearly 20 years ago, and uh, I, I, I know Pastor Nobby was always hungry for souls, and um, Wynne Lewis, who was uh, Elam's superintendent, he opened the church, and uh, one of the things he said to me, you need to look into G12. And uh, I'm looking about to see if I could get any information about G12, and it was Pastor Davy, and I had a word with him. And, uh, um, and he was on the cutting edge of everything. And, uh, you know, this, this building... I was in it once before, so it wasn't, I think the the platform was over here. It's fabulous, the building that you've got now. It really does just lend itself to just a real atmosphere of, of blessing and, and wanting to be part of it. And, uh, and so, uh, seen it, but it always struck me as a gateway church. It's a gateway church. It's a gateway into Bangor from it. And, and that is incredibly important because I believe it sets the atmosphere right across the board. Um, you know, how many realize the church doesn't just do Sundays? It does right across the board. It, it's, it, it brings employment. It brings um, blessing, prosperity, economic prosperity, it should bring health, it should bring all of those things because everything that's established from education right the whole way across, you know, all of those, even Ivy League universities were all established and founded by the church. And uh, so we need to get back to that again. We really do. We need, I think, over this whole aspect, who has come to the fore the scientists will follow the science and praise God for science and development and nurses and my 
wife nursed dinner training in Bangor uh, Hospital when it was a hospital. And uh, so it's many fond memories. But this place is a gateway. And, and, you know, I think that much that has happened with the expansion of it uh, has, has been as a result of much of the ministry that has gone from this place. Um, and there's another word that has come and this can be a word that I feel is for use this morning in the midst of transition and change, which, which has happened. And it's intentionality. Be intentional. Uh, don't, don't necessarily, and I know because I, I know the, the favor of God on the Navi family and, and the blessings and the giftings that are here, but but this is a new day. And be intentional with that. I believe that the church is, is going through a, a real transitional period in, in many ways. And one of those is, is with regard to seeing again the supernatural aspects of the church. I, I love revival, but I'm sick and tired of reading about it 150 years ago. We need it now. And I was blessed, someone in the church blessed Karen, my wife's name's Karen as well, and blessed us to go to Pensacola at the time. And I, I, I seen there what revival looks like. I seen kids where they're, you know, where in our church, and there's nothing, they'll be coloring in during the message. There they were praying in tongues, four and five-year-old. They were invited up to pray for the sick. You know, there's there's something about little children leading them. And and I, I remember someone, I never got to Toronto, but someone came, uh, one of the pastors from Toronto came to Kerry Duff. And, and just at the time that we were contemplating starting our day nursery in fear and trembling, and uh, I, we'd, we'd bought a, a building, as Karen has said. We bought a building, didn't know what to do with it. And I remember getting woke up in the middle of the night. I started to I just really, it, I was being tormented by it. We'd, we'd went into debt to get it. And then as clear as I've ever heard the voice of God, and I can, I can say this, every step that I've taken in the ministry, I believe was as a direct result of hearing the voice of God. And I remember this here so much that I woke with a cold sweat and it was God and he said to me, George, use it or lose it. And then I tell you, I got up and I, and I started to think, God, what do you want me to use? I want to use it. And, and we started the, the nursery. I, just at that time, uh, one of the pastors from Toronto uh, Airport came and she prayed. And she prayed that there was a favor of God for children in the church, in the house. And uh, we started with two, adult, uh, two, two children, one of which was a young woman um, who had went and visited her in hospital. And she was a heroin addict. A heroin addict. And she was uh, literally on our last throws and 
she always wanted to be a veterinary nurse. And she applied. And they granted her a, a, a grant to take her through this. And also provided her with childcare because she had this little baby that was not expected to survive because her, her system was so full of heroin. And the child is great. But that was our first child. And there was another one as well, a little baby. They were both babies. And we had to employ two staff for that and everything that came with that. And God just undertook, bless the place. So now we're, we're, we're delighted that that we have 35 staff and, and 150 children 10 years on. Um, but hear the voice of God. And I want, to, I want to share something. Be intentional. You know, when, when I heard that voice, that's the one thing. Many people hear the voice of God or get a prophetic word, and they just expect God to do it all. You've literally got to start and say, God, I'm going to open this door. And you know, if it slams in my face, I'll open another one. And, and Because I want you to say that whatever you want for my life, I'm serious. Because I want it. So I'm going to share with you, if you've got your Bible, turn to well, a few um, passages of Scripture. One is 1 Chronicles 12. And so if you want to turn to that there, you've got your Bible with you. My sister lived, her first house after she got married was in Westmoreland Crescent, which is just at the back here. And and she initiated me uh, to go and see a James Bond film. And it was Goldfinger. And do you know the thing that captured my imagination about Goldfinger? are about James Bond, and any James Bond movies is when Q turns up. Do you know who Q is? Q's a quartermaster, and it says this here. Before Bond sets, I've just wrote, wrote this, down, before Bond sets out into danger, he stops by the quartermaster to be given some latest piece of equipment or gadget. The scene normally provides a few moments of light relief before the intensity of the main conflict resumes. It is also a moment when we can guess something of what is going to happen in the rest of the film. Because whatever Q gives Bond turns out to be exactly what he will need. If Bond ends up with a tall pepper mill, that doubles up as a flamethrower, we can be sure that at some point he's going to find himself in a pizza parlor surrounded by evil henchmen. However weirdly specific the gadgets are, they will always be the exact thing that he needs. You know, God's like that. He never gives us a mission without equipping us with exactly what we, however weird we might think it is, however above ourselves we might think it is, that it, you know, whatever it would be, God always gives us and equips us with everything that we need. There was a time in the Old Testament when King David became king of all Israel, and he gathered all the tribes and it lists them. They were armed with bows 
and could use this as one, uh, 1 Chronicles 12. Uh, and I'm just going to abbreviate, go right through it, but you can read it when you go home to make sure I'm not telling lies. Um, and it lists them. They were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a bow. Men of might and men of war fit for the battle that could handle shield and buckler whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as the rose upon the mountains. And then it says something else. It says this. There were some... Listen. 1 Chronicles 12, 32. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. What a gift. What a gift. The men of Issachar had this divine wisdom where they understood the critical nature of the times they were living in. And not only that, but they understood what to do. You know, it's it's one thing knowing every single one of us in this room today will understand that this world is going through something that it has never went through before. And we all feel that God knows about it and that God has an answer to it and that the church should have an answer to it. I love in the old days when the king would have come to the prophet and said, is there a word from the Lord? But it's one thing knowing, but it's another thing they understood what to do during those times. They had this divine ability of what the times were all about and crucially what time it was in the history of the world. I don't know about you, but I think we need men and women who rise up, who really have a divine wisdom to understand the times in which we live and how critical these times are. So we'll know what to do and we'll do the right thing at the right time. See, William Booth was asked the chief dangers of the 20th, at the turn of the 20th century, he was asked, what, uh, what do you perceive this century holds? And this is what he said. I consider the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. How right he was. So many churches today striving for excellence, which is a great thing. We all want that. But it's not good enough just to do the things right. That's what excellence is. Excellence is doing things right. But it's so much more important to do the right things. I'm so thankful that the Bible gives us practical examples of everyday people who step into situations all around them and are used by God. And I'm particularly thankful that he shows us these ordinary people because that means that we can relate. They're not people that we can't relate to. Let me just affirm this. 
you won't get from your natural senses the things God had for the men of Issachar. And what he has for you and wants to reveal to you, listen, nothing of the deep things of God will come from your own understanding but from the Spirit of God. It's not just about an increased knowledge of the Bible. That's good. But it's about a fresh understanding of what God has prepared for your life and walk with him. So my future, George Ritchie's future, my hope, my peace, my destiny, my joy, and what I was created for will not come from my eyes or my ears. It won't even come from the ideas and imagination of my heart. I receive the resource of God, the deep things of God, from the Spirit of God only. Let me also introduce you to someone else who knew God had a destiny for them. It's found in Esther chapter 4. And Esther is described in the book that shares her name as the Jewish queen of the Persian king Ahasuerus, who seeks a new wife after his queen Vashti refuses to obey him. And Esther is chosen for her beauty. The king's chief advisor, Haman, is offended by Esther's cousin and guardian. This is a brief overview for it. You can read it to take you an hour or so to read Esther. It's a fabulous book. The king's chief advisor, Haman, is offended by Esther's cousin and guardian, Mordecai, and gets permission from the king to have all the Jews in the kingdom killed. So she's the queen, and before long, her cousin Mordecai comes to the gate, and this is relayed to Esther. We pick up the narrative of one of her attendants here. It's in chapter 4. Your cousin Mordecai is at the gate, and something's seriously wrong. So she says, go find out. And the attendants go to Mordecai at the gate. The king has signed an edict, and all the Jews are going to be killed. So he sends word of the edict that says, every man, every woman, young, old, everyone is to be killed. And so Esther sends back word and says, Look, I know what you want me to do, but you don't understand. No one can approach the king without being summoned. And he hasn't asked for me in 30 days. So if I just approach him when he is having court, they'll put me to death. And the only exception is if he holds out his royal scepter. Then Mordecai sends word back to Esther because of his great insight. He had that insight, Mordecai. That insight that every single one of us knew. So let's look at this key passage in Esther 4, 13. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. 
For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Not only did he have the insight for it, but he also knew that God is faithful, even in those situations. If you aren't faithful, Esther, God's still faithful. He says this, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, but you and your families, uh, your father's family will perish. And who knows, but you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. And even though it is against the law, if I perish, I perish. I just focus I want you this morning just to focus on this phrase for such a time as this. Mordecai was saying, Esther, you have a divine moment in history. And it's directly in your path now. Folks, don't miss this. Don't miss it. Could it be that you or I have a divine moment directly in our path right now we just didn't know it why did we not know it if God is hungry to to every single one of us that he has a, a purpose and a destiny for our lives it's because surely we're not at that point that the men of Issachar were that understood the times and let me tell you if we seek him hard after him, he will be found. So don't. We just didn't know it. You just haven't been able to see it. But God brought you here today so that you could have your spiritual eyes. And your spiritual eyes open to the reality that this is a divine opportunity that's in your path. What is afflicting the world today comes once a century. I read about this back in a, in a book that I'd picked up called Factfulness back in 2018 when it was released. And it's incredible, but these are reset moments reset moments for the church and when I say the church I'm not talking about a building I'm not talking about a denomination I'm talking about you and me I think one of the greatest lessons we can learn from this passage is how we not only avert chaos but can be brought into a whole new level of supernatural awareness into the things of the spirit so here we are and I want to share briefly, just very, very briefly in closing, a couple of things we learned from this passage on how to see our divine moments and how to seize those divine moments. You can't, if you, unless you see it, you can't seize it. Esther 4.15, it says this here. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. 
I and my maids will fast and pray as you do. When this is done, then I'll go to the king, she says. I'll seize my divine moment. I'll step out in faith and seize this. But first, we need to pray. And I need you to pray for me. So number one, it's a time to pray. I, that's not rocket science, folks. So I've got to, when I say it's a time to pray, I've got to say this. So why don't we pray more? Why don't we pray more? Anybody here struggle with prayer? I'm the first one to put my hand up. I've learned that I can, I, you know, I, I tell you, it's good for my health. I walk and pray. So there's three things why we don't pray. First, maybe the most important, we forget how powerful God is. We forget how big and great God is. The God who created the infinite universe with the power of his word, it was all done. We forget that the one who put the stars in space is right there waiting for us to talk to him waiting to answer our requests. You see, there's no problem in your life or in my life right now that's either too big or too small for God to handle. Number two, we forget how much God cares. That's a big one. We forget how much he cares. The Bible says God cares about everything in our lives, every detail. He says, I count every tear that you've ever cried. God knows everything about you. Maybe no one else knows, but God does. There's no problem in your life that's too small for God to care about. And the third thing is we don't fully realize what's at stake. What's it? I thank God that a godly woman prayed for George Ritchie. Prayed for me. And I, without that prayer and faithful praying, I don't know where I would have been. You see, we don't realize fully what's at stake. That's the third reason. We don't pray more as we don't realize what's at stake. Esther realized after Mordecai expresses to her that there were millions. Now listen to this. There were, there were millions, generations at stake. And so she decided, she made the choice to go to the king and said, if I die, I die. I'll do what it takes. I tell you, I, I remember one night there was um, a young woman and I don't know, I can't even remember what I was preaching about but towards the end she went out and she was in quite a state and uh, one of the other women went out with her and then came back in again after the service and said, Pastor, will you go and see 
this girl and uh, and she was in the room and, and her friend as well. I went in and uh, I talked to her. She said to me this here. She said, um, Pastor, I, she came from a quite a large family, a really large family. She says, I was at a wedding on Saturday and after the wedding, I met a man that I hadn't seen. It was my uncle, and I hadn't seen him for since I was young. He was an alcoholic. Uh, the joke was about this guy that he had to get a blue bus. He lived in Arch Road. Had to get a blue bus to get a drink. And uh, and she says he interfered with me when I was child, five-year-old, and I never seen him, and I seen him yesterday, and he looked at me, and he said to me, you remember, and he says, she says, I ran out of tears, a 50-year-old woman, and I said, right, and I said, I'm going to say something to you today. And uh, it's going to be incredibly hard. But I'm going to say, you've got to forgive him. By forgiving him doesn't get him off the hook. It gets you off the hook. And you're absolutely on the hook because you're in here tonight after 45 odd years after the event happened. And she says, I'm, I'm willing to. And he, I, I, I said, okay, pray after me. And we prayed a prayer for strength. And she forgave him. One of the things that I said was that at the time, and I didn't fully appreciate it, was the fact that when you pray forgiveness for someone that has done wrong, so much can they be corrupted by that wrongdoing that they are oblivious of any sense of uh, feeling convicted. And that's why his attitude was, after all that time, um, you, you remember. And so I... I prayed with her and I said this will come back again um, but you've got to forgive me again. About three weeks later I got a phone call that the guy in question had been rushed into hospital. He'd been rushed into hospital. Um, most of the family didn't go to church but they considered me as the family priest or pastor or whatever. And he phoned me up and said the guy's name that he was in hospital, seriously ill, and he's refusing food. He won't eat. Cut a long story short, he passed away. He died. He had cancer that was just discovered, and he, and he died. 
I was asked to do the funeral, and I phoned up the girl in question, said, look, I've been asked to do this. How do you feel about this? She says, well, I'm going to tell you something. I hope my uncle's in heaven. That was real forgiveness, real forgiveness. And I arrived to take the funeral in Browns and Newton Arts Road, and one of the first people to greet me was the younger brother of this guy. So that would have been, again, another uncle. And he said to me this, he said, Pastor, I went in to see the name of the, the guy. He was in a wee room on his own because he hadn't long to live. And as I opened the door, he was lying on the floor, crying out, God, forgive me, forgive me. And he said, turn to me, and he says to me this here, um, Pastor, does that mean he's in heaven? I says, well, the Bible is very clear about that. That if we confess our sins, if we cry out to God, he can forgive us. And I, and I share that there because that all started with a single prayer that altered the direction of whatever the situation might be and so often we can wrestle with those things, but I tell you, God's love is not just powerful for some things, but it's powerful for everything. But we can initiate it. There are things that only you sitting in your seats here today can initiate simply by your prayer. Someone that you've been praying for, maybe to get give their lives to the Lord, you keep praying. Jim Elliott was a, a missionary to Ecuador and was killed by the savage group that he was trying to reach. Later, that same group came to know Christ because of his example. Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. You see, the great irony is that the things that we hold on the tightest to, we can't keep. We don't keep anything. But the things that we give to God, the things that we let go of, he takes and uses. And in his incredible math and his incredible mystery of the way he does his life in our lives, we get to be a part with our one and only lives of what God is doing in our world and in our time and in our day. Esther had this choice in her defining moments. She could hold on, and she was tempted to hold on to her position and all her possessions and the security that she had. And Mordecai said, if you hold on to it, Esther, you're going to lose it all. But if you give it all away, then God is going to do a miracle. If you give it away, then you'll get back and so much more. So it's a time to rise in prayer. And lastly, it's a time to rise in faith. I want us to move to Esther 4.14. Uh, and this is what it says. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai says, Esther, did you think about this? Maybe the whole reason why you were born, 
is for this one moment. We, we all want to, you know, but most of the folk that have lived have done something that has so transformed life. And it's the only thing. The Apostle Paul knew that. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting everything else that can crush your time, this one thing I do. And he did it. And 2,000 years later, we're still hearing about him. Did you think about this, Esther? Maybe the whole reason why you were born is for this one moment in history. Maybe the whole reason why God brought you to me and I adopted you was for this one moment in history. Maybe the whole reason why the king chose you is the one moment in history is for this one moment in history. Maybe the whole reason why you're alive is for this one moment in all of history. So don't miss it. This is your one great divine moment. Do you ever think about that? Most of us, if I was to ask you today, and, and but you know, it's the same all over, we would be quick to say what we don't want in life than what we do want. And, and there are issues that that this world, I tell you, this, this, this whole situation, I believe where, where we are today in our schools, and I don't need to go through all the stuff that's being taught in, in our schools. Thank God for Christian teachers that are holding back some of the, the stuff that's coming. But there's stuff that's coming that was prophesied, prophesied hundreds of years ago by evil people like like Marx and, and Freud, Marcuse, folk like that. Most of the people today that are enacting much of what they had spoken into the world and what their idea of a word was, they didn't even know. They hadn't even heard of them. But they're doing it today because it's in many of the songs that are in the charts. Many of the, you know, folk, that are that are that are speaking into the lives of children like uh, Ariana Grande. They're not evil, but they haven't a clue what they're what they're speaking. There's how many people know that there's life and death in the power of the tongue. Whatever way you hear it, whether it's in music, whether it's in 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 in, in you know everyday life. So, so this is what he said. Esther. He says, maybe the whole reason why God allowed you to be born in this time, this time in history, in all of history, you could have been born in any time in all of history. But God chose you to be born in this time. To be part of this era of history. The only time in all of history where we can actually listen, get the gospel into every area through technology, through travel, through everything. There's never been another time in the history of the world for the church to get prepared and to get right. And you have a fabulous... You know, I, I, one of the folk, because we did stuff in the church where I, I, we had some of the the most incredible folk that came. I can remember having Brenda Kilpatrick, John Kilpatrick's wife, 
and John didn't fly, uh, but she came over, and, and I can remember having Brenda, and she came, and she shared about the backstage of Pensacola. Um, we, we had incredible favor when we went to Pensacola. But she shared one moment of young, young kids, and one young child in particular, he was only about seven or eight year old, and he was up in the balcony, and he was rocking back and forward like that, rocking back. And the parents were worried about him. They didn't know what it was. And so they, they brought the youth pastor up, and the youth pastor then, because the, the lad couldn't speak to his parents about what was happening, and he came back again. And this is what he said. He had been given a vision of hell. Eight-year-old. And he was reaching over and picking people out of it. His friends. He was reaching and picking his friends out of it. And, you know, so many things. We, we had others that, that, that were just brilliant testimonies with Bobby Ball. And Bobby Ball, I remember speaking to Bobby and saying to him, Bobby, if you could change anything in your life, what would it be? And he says, I'd like to have been a bit bigger. A bit taller. And you know, within about 30 seconds, he came back, he says, no, he says, George, he made me just the right height. shared a very powerful testimony how that he was in the Palladium he says and a white Rolls Royce parked outside and he said all of these theatres have chaplains and the chaplain came in and he says when we were doing when we were at the top of our, our career and he looked in and he seen Tommy and myself sitting. And he says, I was a nasty piece of work. He says, I drank a bottle of whiskey a day. He says, some, but he says, this guy poked his way in through the door. And he says, guys, he introduced himself. I'm Reverend such and such. And he says, if there's anything that you need or I can do for you, don't hesitate to ask me. And he says, as nasty as I could be, I turned to him and I said, I have a white Rolls Royce parked outside. I can have a different woman every night that I want. I live a lifestyle of luxury. You probably live in a rented house. What could you possibly give to me? And he says, he was on his way out, but he says a couple of moments later, the door opened again, and he looked in through the door, and he says, Bobby, I've got Jesus Christ. And when you've got Christ, you've got everything. So I've got a little bit more than what you've got. And he went out. He didn't even give me the opportunity to respond to him. But within three days, that guy had led him to the Lord. Prayer. And you know, folks, can, you know, we think sometimes, can, can God 
literally change my circumstances. Yes. It's time to rise in faith. It's time to rise in prayer. Let me just pray as we close. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I think maybe the worship team going to come up again. Is that okay? That was fabulous worship. Brilliant worship. Just brought not only excellent in, in music, but really anointed, which is so incredibly important. Let me say this here as we close this morning. If God can literally use anybody, and I've given you some instances of folk today, and they turn their lives around and can use anybody, don't say, ah, but God. You know, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know this. You don't know. You know, just give God the opportunity. Just say, God, could you use me? Could you use me? Maybe I'm not great at, at, at relating to people, but I can't pray. Could you use me to speak to someone? To speak to to. to let me tell you something, folks. I'm, no one is more astounded than George Ritchie that he used me and carried off for the years that he used me. Nothing is too hard for God. So if you're here this morning, and whatever it is, you just say, not even going to ask you about what you desire God to use you in, I just want to ask you this one thing. Are you willing? Are you willing? And if you are, I just want you to slip your hand up right now and allow me to include you in my final prayer right now. That's you. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Bless you, bless you. Bless you, bless you. Bless you, bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Father, right now, right now, where every single person that has raised their hand, and maybe those that haven't as yet, touch them right now. I pray for fresh revelation. Lord, that they won't rely on their own eyes or their ears or how they feel, but that they will recognize that God is in the house, and if God is in the house, he is looking at you and Today, Father, release your giftings. Release your giftings right now. Things that are hidden that maybe some of us don't even know about, but, they're, but you know about it because you see through different eyes. So touch, we pray, even as we continue to worship for Jesus' sake. Bless this house, Lord. I thank you for it, Lord. I pray that indeed this gateway will be a gateway to, 
Lord, just like Jacob experienced where there was a, an ascending of ladder and a descending of angels going up and down, Lord, that there will, the presence of God will rest in this place so that they will know beyond any shadow of a doubt when people come through those doors, they'll say, God is in this house for Jesus' sake. Let's stand as we worship him. Thank you for joining us. We look to God that he will direct your steps in blessings through this week. For more information, visit us at bangercommunitychurch.co.uk or find us on Facebook.